we're going to continue this week in our final week of our sermon series called A Good Word. Uh, this is the last, the last few verses of our study through the book of Philippians. It's taken us a little over a year to work our way through uh, the book of Philippians. Four short chapters, but on and off through the past year, we have worked our way through it. And this sermon series is titled A Good Word because in the fourth chapter, what we see is we see Paul giving one good word after another to these young believers at the church in Philippi. And while they are young believers, the brand new church, Paul really gives them some pretty big ideas uh, that he wants to impart on them uh, as Christ followers. The first thing we saw is that we find our joy in Jesus, right? The whole book of Philippians is permeated with the idea of joy in Jesus. And what does it look like to live a life that is worthy of the gospel? Paul tells them to live a life that looks like it's worthy of the gospel. You find your joy in Christ and you take everything to him in prayer. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about that Paul had found a secret. And the secret that he had found was the secret to contentment. And that secret is that we find our contentment in Jesus Christ and in Jesus alone and not in our possessions or our things or our finances or any of that. We remember because it says this is one of the most famous uh, verses in all the Bible. He says that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's not talking about having more stuff. He's talking about finding our contentment in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And today, we're gonna to be looking in Philippians chapter four, verses 14 through 23, and we're gonna wrap up this beautiful letter that Paul has written, and Paul is giving another good word to the Christians at Philippi in these few verses. He's gonna show them that living a life that's worthy of the gospel means that we enter into a gospel partnership with one another. That partnership is for building the kingdom and for advancing the mission of God. You know, the idea of gospel partnership is really all over the book of Philippians. We see at the very beginning, and we'll talk about in just a minute, the very end of the book, Paul is thanking them. He's expressing gratitude to this collection of believers that have entered into this partnership with him that's allowed him to advance uh, the gospel. And as we talked about previously, Paul planted this church. Remember, I told you that this is not just a book that's full of good information. This is a letter that is written to a group of people that the Apostle Paul loves desperately and deeply. And in that, he wants to impart to them the wisdom and the knowledge needed to live a life that God's called them to, a life that's worthy of the gospel. And we'll see that in these first couple of verses. So if you have arrived at Philippians 4, 14, go ahead and say the Bible is true. Yes and amen. I'm so glad when I get to hear us say that because I know that we recite it every week, but we recite it because that statement is one of the values that we hold deeply here at New Beginnings Baptist Church, that every word in this book is true. And our prayer is that God will speak to us this morning. And this is what Paul writes in Philippians 4. We're going to start in 14 through 16. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So in these first couple of verses, there's two words that I want us to really focus on, and that's share and partnership. We see here that Paul says that you shared in my trouble and that you've entered into a partnership. This word is really the same word in the Greek. It means fellowship that they are fellowshipping with Paul in his troubles. You have shared in my trouble. You have partnered with me 
in my difficult circumstances, in the trouble that is going on. You know, I, I was struck by uh, the difference between partnering with somebody and rooting somebody on. Right? There is a difference between partnering and rooting with somebody else. Sometimes I think we believe that as we root and cheer and clap for somebody that we're really partnered with them, right? But partnership means that we have a part to play other than just encouragement, other than just saying, man, you guys are doing a great job. The Philippians were not sufficing it just to say, Paul, we love you, man. We hope you do good. Go get them. He says that you partnered with me in my trouble, I was reminded of a story. Um, years ago, I took a, a, a hunting trip uh, with my son, my oldest son, to West Texas. We were going to go bird hunting with some other men uh, from our church. I think uh, he's here today. Kevin Ray was on this trip. Um, and I remember uh, Jason Withrow, who's now one of our elders, was on this very trip. And he was telling us a story when we arrived at camp about some men, a man and his son that were riding with him. And they're going down the road. And as they're going down, they remember seeing tires kind of in the middle of the road. You know, like a, a car has blown a tire and it's thrown it off, uh, off the wheel and it's had to pull over to the side of the road. And as they pull, go zipping past this car on the highway or towards it, they don't know how long this guy has been there trying to fix this tire, but it is pouring down rain. When I mean pouring, it is raining sideways at this point. It is pouring down rain. It's starting to get dark, and they go by, and Jason says they pull over, and this man and his son, they get out, and they go over, and they begin to help this man uh, take his tire off and repair his vehicle in the pouring rain. They didn't know this guy from anybody. They didn't know who he was. And they didn't know how many cars had zipped past him with the encouraging thought in their head, man, that really looks like that is bad. I hope he gets that tire changed. But rather than just rooting for him to get it fixed, this man and his son pulled over and, and partnered with this man in his trouble. They got out of the truck in the rain, jacked the truck up, took the tire off, replaced it. I remember Jason sharing this story almost in tears at just the picture of what it meant to be partnered in trouble about what this man and his son, the lesson this man was teaching his son, that we don't just root for things, we partner with people in trouble. And as believers, we are called to partner with one another for the advancement of the gospel. And for the Philippians, they were partnering in Paul's trouble with him. Paul says, you shared in my trouble and hardship. And he says, we are partners. He's telling this church, we are partners together in this thing. You and I. And the Philippians saw themselves as partners in Paul's ministry. They saw themselves as partners in advancing the gospel and expanding the mission of God. Not because they were necessarily on the road with Paul. Some of them probably were, but most of them probably never left Philippi to go travel with Paul. But yet they, they felt like they were partners in Paul's ministry. Most of them did not do the type of ministry that Paul did. They weren't preaching, they weren't evangelizing, they weren't planning churches, but yet they saw themselves as partners in the church. And here's what I would tell you. We are all, as believers, called to partner with the church in some way. There's something we have to give to this gospel partnership that we've entered into. And for the church at Philippi, what that looked like is it looked like they gave generously. They gave generously of their finances. They gave generously of their time. They gave generously of their resources. Think about the, the man Epaphroditus that he talks about, how he left Philippi and walked and took all of the provisions to Paul and went and gave of his time and his encouragement and his life to support the Apostle Paul and to enter into this gospel partnership. Church of Philippi supported generously the mission of Paul through seasons of great hardship, great persecution, great poverty and difficulty, yet they knew that they were called to be in this partnership and they believed that they were a partner 
in Paul's ministry because they weren't just fans that were clapping and cheering and rooting Paul on. They were partners that had entered into his trouble with him for the purpose of advancing the mission of God. They were a faith family. They were a family. Think about that for a minute. Here's what I would tell you. If you're here today and you're a member of New Beginnings Baptist Church, we're a faith family. We're in a gospel partnership with one another. What does that mean? What is a faith family? It's a group of believers that have gathered together under a shared vision to pursue the mission that God has given his church. For New Beginnings Baptist Church, we articulate that as people connecting people to Jesus and his ever-restoring life where we live, where we work, and where we play. And we have entered into a gospel partnership in order to advance the name of Jesus. That's the mission that we've been given. That's what a faith family is. It's a relationship. I've used this analogy before, but imagine entering into my marriage. I marry my wife, Stacy, and then from that moment that we got married to now, I've never entered into any kind of relationship with them. It's a partnership because we got married, but I'm not participating at all. I expect her to do everything. I don't do anything. How many of you guys think that would work out? Okay, none of you, good. And most of you don't know my wife, but I will tell you that would not work out because that's not what a partnership looks like. A partnership is a relationship where both parties participate in the advancement of the mission because they have the shared vision. That's why here at New Beginnings Baptist Church, we never shy away from the call for our covenant members to be generous to the mission of God at New Beginnings Baptist Church. We talk about it from this pulpit when God's word talks about it. We talk about it in our uh, Discover membership class for anyone that's become a member. We, We talk about the expectation of covenant members to give to the mission of God generously here at New Beginnings financially. Sorry, my head got a little out of whack there. We don't just talk about giving here. We talk about other things. You certainly give other ways, right? There are nonprofits. There are tons of great organizations that you should give your money to. Things that, People out there that are going to encourage people, that are going to meet needs, that are going to expand the kingdom of God, that are going to be on mission for gospel reasons. You should certainly give to those things, but never in place of or before the local expression of the church that you are joined to. God's word is clear on this, that you're called to give generously. And we see that's what the Philippians are doing. David Platt has one of my favorite quotes, and he says this. He says that um, the church, that's you and me, the church is God's chosen vehicle to display his glory on earth. We are the vehicle that God has chosen to display his glory on earth. And if you are a member or you are a regular attender of this church, and if you belong to Jesus Christ and call him Lord and Savior, then the expectation is that you will participate in this gospel partnership with your time, with your gifting, with your resources, with your finances, with your life. To the end, to make Jesus known and to make God's glory shown on earth. Jesus never said, upon this organization, I will build my, or upon this nonprofit, I will build my. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will never prevail. It should bring you great comfort to know that entering into a partnership with a local church means that you are participating in a mission that the gates of hell will never prevail against. You are participating in a partnership that has already won. It will not lose. There is something beautiful and powerful about the partnership that we share with one another as believers. 
And there's one big idea for today that I think I want you to leave with, and it's this. It says the gospel partnership we share leads to gospel generosity in order to see gospel advancement where God has planted us. The gospel partnership we share leads to gospel generosity in order to see gospel advancement where God has planted us. This is what Paul's talking about in these last few verses. Look at verses 17 through 20, and this is why he expresses such great gratitude for the Philippian church. Look at what he says. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see here that Paul mentions the financial gifts that the Philippian church has sent to him. He thanks them. He says, thank you for your gifts. I am well supplied. I have everything that I need. But what Paul's not doing is giving a report of how he plans on using the money or how the finances are gonna be distributed or what, he's not doing any of that. What he's doing is he's teaching a theology, a financial theology to the Christ followers at the church in Philippi. He's building up theirs and our faith and illuminating the significance of gospel generosity, right? There are several truths, I think, in these verses that I pray uh, will strengthen our belief in the idea of gospel generosity and hopefully answer some questions that I think a lot of people have when it comes to gospel partnership and giving uh, that spoke about in the Bible. Questions like, why does it matter that I'm faithful to give to my church? Or does it matter that I have a right view of generosity and giving? Or how does God use my obedience to make an eternal difference? How many of you guys have ever thought, what, what, what actual eternal difference am I doing? What am I making? It's a great question. And there are some truths in this I want us to see, and the first one is this. In gospel partnership, it isn't about the gift, but the fruit that that gift produces. It isn't about the gift, but the fruit that that gift produces. Look at uh, the first part of uh, Philippians 4, 17, it's, Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit. Paul says, I'm not seeking a gift, I'm seeking the fruit that is produced in you because of the work that the gospel has done in your life. It's not about what you're giving, it's about that you're giving and why you're giving. This is the fruit that is produced in you, generosity, because of the work of the gospel. We don't just consider what we give but we look to what our generosity is doing and what it has done, right? We are pursuing the mission. Our generosity is doing something. The Philippians' generosity was doing something for the mission of God. It was advancing the mission. It was making the gospel known. It's not just giving to give. It's giving because it is doing a gospel work. There is a spiritual ROI that exists. You know what ROI is? It's a return on investment. It's a business term they use, right? So when you make investments, you think of the ROI. If I give this, what is the return? Well, when you give, there is a spiritual ROI. There is a return on your investment of your generosity to the church of Jesus Christ. When we give to the local church, it matters, and it matters for eternity. It matters forever. I'm going to do something here. I'm going to take a risk. If you're in the room today, 
and you've been saved or baptized or you have friends or family or know someone that has been saved or baptized at New Beginnings Baptist Church, I want you to do me a favor and raise your hand. Spiritual ROI. In the last two years, 767 people have professed faith in Jesus Christ. 767. You want to know if your obedience to give and be generous is making an eternal difference? Absolutely. That's 767 lives that are forever changed. That's 767 families that will never be the same because of the work of the gospel. Do I think God can do it without us? Absolutely. But what does he say? What did David Platt say? We are God's chosen vehicle to display his glory on earth. And there is no greater glory for God than when those are lost or found. Your partnership in the gospel is doing something here at New Beginnings Baptist Church. I'll give you another example. We partner with the SBC, more specifically though, the SBTC, the Southern Baptist Convention of Texas. We have planted more churches through our partnership with them in the last year than in the previous five years combined. Gospel preaching, God honoring, mission pursuing churches. We partner with uh, organizations like the Roots Network that's planting churches and strengthening churches and training pastors all over East Africa. We partner with organizations like Hope Road where people can find good, God-honoring, biblically-based counseling services when they're in their time of need. We partner with places like Graciously Broken where women are finding healing in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Gospel partnership is doing something. It's an investment that the return is eternal. You cannot put a price on it. It's not about the gift, but it's about the fruit that that gift produces. And the fruit that that gift produces is lives that are being changed. The gospel is being proclaimed. The finances that are entrusted to New Beginnings are doing something. They're doing gospel work. And if you partner with New Beginnings, then so are you. The second thing I want us to see is that in gospel partnership, our gifts are storing up treasures in heaven. Our gifts are storing up treasures in heaven. Look at the uh, 17 again. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. It's an interesting phrase, that increases to your credit. Um, what, is he, what do you think he means by that? If you have an NIV Bible, it, probably, it says this, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. More be credited, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost a financial term, okay? There's an eternal blessing in being faithful and giving, and Paul wants them to see what this faithfulness is producing. Not only is it producing change in the world, but it's also being credited to their spiritual account, if you will. Blessings that they will receive one day when they arrive in heaven. The fruit is churches planted. Paul's needs are being met. There is an eternal reward for those that faithfully participate in that gospel partnership that is being stored up in heaven. God's word says so. It's an investment in your heavenly account that one day you'll receive as an inheritance. Here's what I know. In the economy of God, wealth is not about what you can possess on earth, but what you will leverage for eternity and what will last forever. Forever. Partnering generously with the gospel, with the church to advance the mission of the gospel has effects that reach far beyond anything we will ever see and will last all the way into eternity. 
Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. He says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's Jesus saying there? He's saying invest, give with eternity in view. Leverage everything that I've blessed you with for the advancement of the mission, not on temporary things that will only tarnish, that the shine will come off, that the satisfaction will diminish. Give to something that is good for eternity, that nothing can ever tarnish or destroy. American missionary Jim Elliott said this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The man that said that is the man that gave his life on the mission field. Now, this doesn't mean that we give to get, right? It doesn't mean that, okay, if I, if I give money, then I'm going to get money, right? I'm going I'm to get blessing. We don't give to get. We give to be obedient to the one that has given us everything. And when we partner in obedience, then we get. It is a byproduct of our obedience to God. It is not the reason that we give. It means that as we partner together in generosity, it pleases God to take that gift, to use it for his glory, and to let that result in reward for us. It is God's good graces that allows us to have this gift stored up uh, in heaven for us. And the problem is, is too often we sacrifice eternal reward for temporary satisfaction. We don't partner in gospel partnership obediently so that we can have a little bit more here, so I can be a little bit more comfortable, so I can have a little bit more safety, so I can have a little bit more happiness. Am I saying that this is easy? Absolutely not. Every one of your circumstances is different and I wouldn't dare tell you this is easy. But what I would tell you is, is that if we are partnering financially with our time, with our resources, with our giftings, with any of these things for temporary earthly things, then we are missing out on something that is far greater and a reward that is eternal. The third thing we see here is that in gospel partnerships, our gifts are an act of worship. Our gifts are an act of worship. Look at verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I love the language that he uses there. He says that their sacrifices were a fragrant offering acceptable and pleasing to God. This is really Old Testament language. If you think about what he's using here in the sacrificial system that existed for the people of God uh, prior to Christ's coming, they would take sacrifices to atone for their sins and they would burn these sacrifices and it would release a fragrance that emanated, that said was pleasing to God. The smell of their obedience to God was a pleasing thing. He says the same thing about the church at Philippi and their partnership, their gospel partnership, their obedience to God's command to partner in the gospel. He calls that a fragrant offering. Why? Because they gave of their possessions. It was an act of, wor- it was an act of worship. Philippi, the Old Testament uh, the Jewish people, uh, the Christians in Philippi, all of this, they gave as an act of worship because God is worth. It is a statement of God's worth by God's people to be obedient to give to the mission of God. It's not something we do so we can get something. It's not something we do out of obligation. We do it because it pleases God for his people to be obedient to him. And we're obedient to God because God is the giver of everything that we need 
in our lives. This is also the same language that was used to describe Jesus when he sacrificed himself for us. Look at Ephesians 5, 2. It says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Think about that for a minute. Your obedience to partner with the gospel is spoken of in the same way that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was spoken of. Does that mean that it carries the same weight or it's the same thing? Or, absolutely not. But they were both, they're acts of obedience. And it's all that we bring to God. You guys realize that, right? The only thing we have to offer God is our obedience. That's it. We have nothing else. Our obedience to participate in advancing the mission of God, to make his name known, to lift his banner high, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth is all we bring to this party. And his word says it is a fragrant offering with which he is pleased. Obedience in this area is worship. Obedience in the area of generosity is worship. Giving generously through the church is not some obligatory duty that we perform. It is a sacrifice of praise to our Lord and Savior. It is something that we do faithfully, that we should do joyfully, that we should do cheerfully. Generosity is not something that we just muster up. It's a product of being a new creation in Christ. It says that the old me is gone, the new me is here. When the old is gone, everything that I held on to went with it. The new me is here. I give cheerfully. Do you know that word cheerful in the Bible? The Greek is actually where, where we get the English word hilarious. It means you should give hilariously. Not with just a little smile on your face. Think about what it means for something to be hilarious. That's how God's word decide, uh, describes the generosity of someone who has been radically changed by the gospel. That we are to give hilariously. Look at Romans 5, 12, this is what it is a work of. This becoming a reality in my life is where gospel generosity comes from. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When God gets my life, when he gets all of me, then my life is offered up as a living sacrifice. All of it. We don't get to just give part or hold back some of it. All of my life is given to God. And when I do that, my giving moves from obligation to adoration. I don't give because I have to begrudgingly. I give adoringly because God is everything to me. Because my life has been so radically transformed that now I don't find contentment in my things. I find contentment in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. And when I do that, my things don't matter anymore. And I can gladly and willingly give it all to him. Because I find everything I need in him. Giving moves from a burden to a blessing. I'm not reluctant anymore. I rejoice in being able to give, in being able to partner with Jesus, with God's church in the gospel. You guys realize this is a, a blessing. This is not something we have to do. This is something we get to do. We get to enter into partnership with God's church to see lives change, to see the gospel go places and do things. The problem is money seems to be the last area that people want to allow God to redeem. 
It's that one thing that we keep and we stick behind our back and we go, God, you can have a lot of other stuff, but I'm going to hold on to this one for a minute. Why is that? I would argue there's two reasons. It's because money means one of two things to us. It means comfort and safety, and it means accomplishment. So when I find my accomplishment in the things I can get and the things I can accumulate and the things that I can provide for my family, I feel accomplishment. Therefore, I want to control that area of my life. Or I find great comfort if something happens, if something goes wrong, if the wheels come off, I know that I have this here. The problem is replacing an expectation on things they're never meant to carry. Obedience is the issue when it comes to gospel partnership and generosity. Obedience is the issue. Longing for heaven is the issue. An acknowledgement of God's worth is the issue. And if we have been a people that have been transformed, if you are someone who has been transformed by the gospel, then what you do is you operate in the economy of the kingdom partnership because that's what kingdom people do. The economy that we live in is a kingdom economy. Everything we have belongs to God and we gladly, willingly give it all to him. The fourth thing we see is that in gospel partnership, God promises to provide our every need. It's one of my favorite parts of this. God promises to provide our every need. Look at verse 19. And God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I would argue that Philippians 4.19 is one of the greatest promises in all the Bible. God will provide every need. Every need. Think about where Paul was. Think about what was going on in his life. Think about the people that he was talking to and what they were enduring and how much they were giving and what they were pouring into the ministry and how they were participating in the gospel partnership. And Paul wants to remind them that while you've given and you've given and you've given and I've got everything you need, everything I need, I want to remind you of one thing, and that's this, that God is the source of everything you're going to need. God is where you find everything. You've been faithful, you've supplied my need, and God is your supplier of your need. If God uses each and every one of us to supply the needs of others in his name for his church, do you really think that he's not gonna provide for your needs also? Think it's some one-off thing that God says, I want you to give to this thing, and now that that's gone, you're on your own? No, God's word says that he, he supplies every need that we have. Now, I would argue that if your household is any like mine, there are moments where we have to determine the difference between want and need, right? How many times somebody in my house has said, Dad, I really need this. I really need this PlayStation 5, Dad. I really, I, I need it. We get to have a discussion about what's, what, what the word want and what the word need means. Because God provides everything that we need. Everything that we need to perform the mission that he has given his church, everything that we need to be the people that he has called us to be comes from God and not from anywhere else. Generous Christians live on the promise that God will meet your needs. We trust in that. God's word says that even when we are faithless, he is faithful for he cannot deny himself. Think about that for a minute. Even when we don't see it, God is faithful because he can't be anything but that. So when his word says that he will supply every need, God is faithful to supply every need because he can't not do it. He can't be anything but faithful. It's not something he does, it's who he is. And when we say the Bible is true, we believe the Bible is true, therefore we can trust the statement that says, God will provide every need you have. 
God is generous to those that are generous to his mission. God is the giver of all good gifts. Think about my kids' expectations of me and how I care for them. My kids wake up in the morning, you know what they expect? They expect food. They expect certain things in the house to be there. They don't ask for them. They don't wonder. They don't get them and go, Dad, do you think? No, they're just there. They just expect it. And God is infinitely better than I am, an infinitely better father than I am, an infinitely better husband than I am, and he is the giver of all good gifts. And as his children, we should trust that everything we need is found in him. We will never lack of anything if we just rest in the promise that God is the giver of all good gifts and he will give us everything we need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? That means we find everything we need in the person of Jesus Christ and nowhere else. That's it. This lesson is one that has talked about all throughout this letter. This idea of gospel partnership, this idea of gospel generosity, of giving ourselves, our lives, our resources, our money, everything to advance the mission of God. It is the greatest of joys of the life of the believer to get to partner with other believers in the advancement in the mission of the gospel. And I think in the closing verses, 21 through 23, we see this, really it's a closing greeting. It's the same as it was in the beginning, but I think we see this wrap-up of what it means to be in gospel partnership. So look at verses 21 through 23. Paul says this to, to end this letter. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I think in this we see two final things about gospel partnership that I think are unbelievable. And they are this. The gospel partnership helps the gospel go everywhere and it plays a part in the gospel reaching everyone. This is what gospel partnership is about. This is what the Philippians partnership with Paul meant. Think about what had happened here. When he says, especially those of Caesar's household, greet you, the gospel of Jesus Christ had traveled to the very heart of the Roman Empire, to the home of the man that ruled the entire known world at that time. And the gospel partnership of the churches with Paul allowed for this gospel to move and to grow and to spread and to go to this place that no one ever thought it would go. If we look back at, Rome, at Philippians 1.13, Paul writes, so that, has, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So not only do they know what Paul, Paul's imprisonment is for, by the end of this letter it says that they have been saved. That there are members of Caesar's household that are counted among the saints. You know what the word saint means when he writes here? It means holy one. The gospel had gone somewhere they never thought it would go and it was now changing people that they never imagined it was changed. And there was a partnership of these churches with Paul and with the gospel that allowed and helped the gospel go and do the things that it was doing. Our partnership is a diverse partnership. In here he says, greet the saints, all the saints greet you. Right, they were diverse, this meant Jewish Christians, this meant Gentile Christians, this meant 
the members of Caesar's household, the imperial guard, all different races, all different colors, coming from all different backgrounds, speaking different languages, all of them united under the banner of the gospel and a devotion to the church and the advancement of God's mission. This is what gospel partnership looks like. Not one of you in here is exactly the same as anybody else. There are churches all over this state, all over this world, filled with people that look different than us, that speak different languages and different cultures, and every one of them are entered into a gospel partnership with us to advance the mission of God. The mission of God is to make his name known. You know what gospel partnership is? Gospel partnership is a group of people so radically changed by the gospel that they unite under its banner so that lives everywhere can be changed. So the gospel can go places that it hasn't been and so it can change lives that haven't been changed yet. That's the reason we do what we do. That's the reason Philippi gave everything. When they had nothing, they gave it all to see the gospel go places that it couldn't go apart from that. Until the whole world hears, this is our call as God's people. This is why gospel partnership is important. Because it changes lives. You saw it, hands went up all over this room. And when we partner together, when we're obedient to God's command, it's doing something. It's changing things. It's going places. Look, I, I believe that anytime God's word is open anytime his word is spoken, uh, that there's a response that is required. Never once have I ever sat in a church and heard a message preached where I thought, you know what, I got that one all locked up. I'm just gonna sit here. Now I've thought, I'm not gonna do anything about this, but always known that it required a response from me because that's what the gospel does. It changes us. It affects us. It speaks to us. It convicts us. It encourages us, all of these things. So the question as we end today, we have to ask is, what's the response for us? How do we respond to this idea of gospel partnership? How do we respond to what God's word has said? And here's one thing that I, I, I said to myself long ago, uh, before I ever had the opportunity to step on a stage like this, I said that I would never stand in this spot ever in my life without making sure that one of the things I said was, the greatest gift you can ever receive is salvation through Jesus Christ. Freedom from sin, reconciliation to a God that you are separated from eternally if you don't belong to him, is available to you and is available to you today. If you wanna be in gospel partnership, you gotta be in partnership with Jesus first. You can't not, you can't not belong to Jesus and partner with his church. And it's the only way to find what we talked about at the beginning, which is joy in Jesus and contentment apart from our things and joy in struggle and be able to give of ourselves when there's nothing to give. We do it because we know Christ and because he's changed you. And if he hasn't changed you, you're just continuing to walk in the same things that you've always walked in. So I would beg you today that if you don't know Jesus, it would be the great joy of my life to get to talk to you about him. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. The most important message you will ever hear ever in your life is the fact that Jesus Christ is God made flesh that came to this earth to live a perfect life because you and I can't. 
to die the death that we could never die to pay the price that we eternally owe to a God that is worth every inch of us so that we could be reconciled back to God. He was buried in a tomb and he raised three days again to ascend into heaven and he will come back one day and you will stand before him and his word says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee, whether you believe in him now, you will believe in him then and it won't matter. Today's the day. Today's the day. If you don't know Jesus, this is where you find joy. This is where you find freedom. This is where you find grace. This is where you find mercy. Whatever you brought into this place, the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ is where you can leave it and walk away forever changed. Forever changed. If you do belong to Jesus, if you do know him as your Lord and Savior, then you get to ask some questions. Like, Am I a gospel partner? Am I really partnered in the gospel? Am I committed to the mission of God? Am I committed to giving everything I am, everything I have, all that God has gifted me with and resourced me with and blessed me with, have I, have, have I give it all to him? Do I have one foot in the door and the rest of me out or am I all the way in? All the way in? Knowing that there is no backup plan, that Jesus is the only plan, that in his word he says, I'm the alpha, I'm the omega, I'm the beginning, I'm the end, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to me except, no man comes to the Father except through me. And in order for his glory to be seen and for his name to be known, he has chosen his church to display his glory. Are you all the way in? Is there evidence in your life of gospel generosity? Do you give generously to the mission of God? If not, why not? How do we shape our lives? How do we view our resources that allow us to break free from those shackles and move into a, a season of generosity and a life that is unburdened by the things of this world and gives freely to the mission of God, knowing uh, that it never returns void, right? That it's always doing something. So maybe the response today is you just need to pray and you need to ask God to, uh, to change your heart to give you a fresh vision of what it means to walk in gospel partnership with his church and with the people of God. Or maybe today you need to surrender your life to Jesus as the very first act of obedience, to admit that you can't do it anymore and you wanna be changed forever. But I know this once again, the word of God demands a response regardless of what that response is. It demands a response from everyone uh, that hears it. So today, as I finish up here, I'm gonna pray. And when I'm finished praying, we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing and we're gonna worship. And I'm gonna be right over there and some of our staff will be available uh, kind of off to the side on the front. And um, if you need to speak with somebody, if you need prayer, this altar is open. If you don't know Jesus, I would love to talk with you. It would be my honor to spend a moment telling you about Jesus and what he's done for me and what he can do for you. I'm gonna pray and then we'll worship. Father, we love you so much. I'm so grateful uh, for you, Lord. I'm so grateful for your word, God, just the way that it, it speaks to my heart, encourages my faith, the way it shapes me and molds me, God. Uh, I pray that today, Lord, we would all have a fresh view of what it means to walk in gospel partnership. Lord, and that we would give our lives and everything in them 
for the advancement of your mission so that your name can be known, God, because we know that your word says that the gospel is the power unto salvation. God, if there's anyone in this room today in the sound of my voice, God, and they are far from you, I pray now that your Holy Spirit would speak your name to them, that you would call them home into a relationship with you, God, and give them boldness and courage to step out and to come and make a decision that will change their eternity. Father, we love you. We're grateful for your church. Most importantly, we're grateful for your son and his sacrifice. And we pray all these things in his name.